Ruth, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. Then he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Continuing at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, 
the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Val and Anne, thank you very much, especially for those names, which I'm not going to try and repeat, but I thought you had them perfectly. Um, Please keep Ruth 4 in front of you, and uh, let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, as we come to your word in the scriptures, we pray that you would teach us of yourself, that you would point us forward in history to Jesus, our Redeemer and that you would teach us to live lives of faith in you. Amen. Somebody once wrote, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. What they meant is when you go back in history, uh, the ways things are done are very different to how they're done today. And that is certainly true, isn't it, when we read Ruth chapter 4. Did you think that when we heard it read? So we're going back more than a thousand years before Christ uh, to the days when the judges ruled. And my goodness, things were done differently then. So we read about the the redemption of lands, the redemption of widows. We read about this practice of legalizing transactions with the exchange of a sandal. And we're reading about the importance of family line and family future. There is much in this chapter which is hard for us to get our heads around. But it does teach us a wonderful truth about God, which is just as true today as it was then. It teaches us that God blesses his people more than we can even imagine. That was true of Naomi and Ruth. Uh, It's true of all of us who trust in Jesus Christ today. It's a truth we need to hold on to when times are hard. It's a truth that we should rejoice in every day. And it's a truth which transforms us from the inside out. God blesses his people more richly than we can even imagine. If you've been with us the last four weeks, you'll know that the book of Ruth begins with tragedy and with emptiness. So Naomi, together with her husband Elimelech, and their two sons, Marlon and Kilion, moved from Bethlehem in Israel to the land of Moab. And Moab was a traditional enemy of the people of God. Uh, While they were there, Marlon and Kilion uh, married Moabite girls, Ruth and Orpah. And then tragically, Elimelech and both of the boys died. And so in chapter 1, Naomi comes back to Israel. She's accompanied by Ruth, who has put her trust in the Lord, the God of Israel. And as two widows, one of them foreign, they are desperately vulnerable, poor, needy, with no one to provide for them. As Naomi herself says at the end of chapter 1, the Lord has brought me back empty. And it may be that some of us feel like that now, that the Lord has made us empty. And yet we see today that by the end of the book, the Lord has transformed their situation. He's turned their grief to joy, their emptiness 
to fullness, uh, their need to security. We're going to see how the Lord blessed these two so wonderfully, which points us also to how he has blessed and will bless us in Jesus Christ more richly than we can ever imagine. There's two parts to the chapter and two parts to our sermon this morning. The first is the Lord provides a redeemer. That's how God blessed Naomi and Ruth, by providing a redeemer, a rescuer for them. Now, God himself was the great redeemer of his people Israel, and he provided within his covenant law for kinsmen redeemers. If a family fell into poverty, they had to sell their land. There should be a kinsman, a relative, ready to buy that land back and keep it in the family. In a similar way, if a woman married and and her husband died before they had children, there might be a kinsman, a relative, who would be ready to marry her, to provide for her, and to carry on the family line of her late husband. So God provided these kinsmen redeemers to care for the poor and the vulnerable amongst his people. And we saw last week how bravely Ruth approached Boaz on the threshing floor. And she asked him to act as her kinsman redeemer. And do you remember that joyful moment where we saw Boaz responding in love, making it clear that he would be absolutely delighted to marry her. And he wanted to be that redeemer to protect and provide for her. But there was one hitch, do you remember? There was a more closely related kinsman. And that situation had to be dealt with first. And so we see in chapter 4 how Boaz deals with that more closely related uh, redeemer. And we see in Boaz a picture of the great redeemer to come, Jesus Christ. And there are two ways in which Boaz is a picture of Jesus to come. The first is he redeems legally and correctly. Boaz goes about everything correctly under God's law. Now, I love a good legal drama. And one of my favorite films, do you remember this one? It's called A Few Good Men. And it contains an amazing courtroom scene. So Tom, I think it's a military court of some kind. Tom Cruise is the barrister and uh, Jack Nicholson is the person on trial. And you get one of these amazing dialogues with objection, your honor, um, objection overruled, objection sustained. And it ends with Jack Nicholson famously shouting, you can't handle the truth. Well, here in verses 1 to 12, there's a huge amount of official, even legal language It's like a courtroom drama. So in verse 1, they meet by the town gate. That was the place in those days that official business would be transacted at the town gate. In verse 2, did you notice Boaz gathers his witnesses? He makes sure that there are 10 elders seated there. And in verse 3, Boaz explains the situation to this unnamed other kinsman. He says, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. It's actually the first we hear in the book of Ruth of the land that Naomi used. 
It seems that as a widow, she was not able to cultivate it herself. Perhaps it had become overgrown in the years they were away, or, or, or maybe somebody else had taken possession of it. But Boaz announces now that it's for sale. And initially, the other redeemer is happy to buy it. So end of verse 4, I will redeem it, he said. And so Boaz continues, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquired a dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. When Boaz says you acquired a dead man's widow, he is not suggesting that a wife is somehow the property of her husband. And we know in the ancient world that terrible view was held by many, but that is not in line with Boaz's character at all. What he means is you'll be taking on responsibility for protecting and providing for Ruth as your wife. And at this, the other redeemer refuses to buy the land. And we'll come back to his reason in a minute. Then in verse 7, the the legal details continuing. Uh, We learn that in those days, the method of legalizing a transaction was the exchange of a sandal, um, which is what they did. Uh, The deal is signed and sandaled, as you might say. Everything is done officially and properly. And then in verse 9, you see Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. See how through the verses the writer stresses again and again, Boaz did everything legally and correctly. Now, why did that matter so much? Well, it's because this is how Ruth came into the covenant people of God and entered into the inheritance of the land, which was part of God's blessing for his people. It mattered so much to Ruth that her redemption was correct and legal that she was truly brought into God's covenant people. And that's what Boaz did. Well, there's another standout feature in these verses about how Boaz redeemed Ruth. He redeems at great cost to himself. Did you notice in verse 6 the reason that the unnamed other kinsman gave for not redeeming the land when he realized that he would be taking on Ruth as well? It's there in verse 6, his reason, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. He said, I will not do it. He meant, I think. So when it was a prospect of buying a piece of land, he was up for it. This was a good investment. When he realized he would also be taking responsibility for Ruth as his wife, suddenly it started to look costly. Uh, he would have Ruth to provide for. But more importantly, within that culture, any son that he had with Ruth would inherit that piece of land, thus taking it away from the rest of his estate. So this unnamed man, like so many others, was prepared to do his duty to help the poor, only provided that it cost him nothing. He was not prepared to pay the cost. But Boaz, in contrast, and this is the big point of verses 1 to 12, is prepared to pay the cost. He is ready to endanger his estate. He redeems Ruth 
at great cost to himself. Now, as the Old Testament goes on, God in his word is building up a picture of what a true redeemer looks like. And Boaz is part of that picture. Boaz shows us that a true redeemer redeems rescues at great cost to himself. And our redeemer, Jesus Christ, not only risked his estate, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself to become a human being. And then on the cross, he gave everything he had, his very life to redeem us. Our redeemer, Jesus, redeemed us at great cost to himself. And then Boaz also shows us that a a true redeemer acts correctly under God's law. And that's what Jesus did for us when he rescued us. He didn't just sweep our sins under the carpet. He didn't just ignore them. No, on the cross, Jesus paid legally and correctly the penalty for our sins. As the New Testament tells us, on the cross, the righteous requirements of God's law were satisfied. And that really matters. Because it means that like Ruth, if we trust in Jesus, we are truly brought in to the people and the blessing of God. God provided Boaz as a redeemer for Ruth. And Jesus as a redeemer for us who is prepared to pay the cost and fulfill the requirements of God's law to bring us into the people of God. Oh, that's wonderful in itself, but there is more to come in this story, this true story of Ruth. Did you notice in in verses 11 and 12, those elders who'd been serving as witnesses uh, now turn to pray, and they, they, they pray God's blessing on Boaz. But have a look in verse 11, what they pray. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now these prayers are ways of saying, um, may Boaz and Ruth be the start of a significant family line in the people of God. So Rachel and Leah, remember, were the wives of, of the patriarch Jacob. Uh, through, whom, uh, through, through, through whom the whole people of Israel came. Uh, they're, 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 they're praying that, that, that through Ruth there would be a new significant line in the people of God. And in verse 12, mentioning Tamar and Judah, if you know the story of Tamar and Judah, you'll know that Perez, their, their son, was born as a result of terrible sin. And yet the royal line of Judah continued through Perez. Now, in contrast, Boaz and Ruth are coming together, not in sin, but in great righteousness. But the elders are praying that, again, they will be the start of a significant family line in the people of God. And what we see next shows that that is a prayer which was answered. So God provides a redeemer. And then, second of all, God provides a future. See, Boaz and Ruth were the start of a family line of redeemers through whom God provided a future for Naomi and then for the nation of Israel and then for the whole world. God provides a future. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive 
and she gave birth to a son. Just a reminder of what we've seen all the way through the book of Ruth, that it's the Lord quietly at work behind the scenes who is providing at every step. Now, when a baby is born, it's an occasion for celebration. Uh, These days, that's often marked by the sending of congratulations cards. And I want to show you two which um, which have amused me. Here's the first one, if we could have that up. A new baby, where are the instructions? I think a lot of us will be able to relate uh, to that thought. And then what do you think of this card here? Have you tried turning it off and on again? (laughs) Well, there are two curious things about the way this birth of Ruth's son is celebrated. The first is that the congratulations are given to Naomi, the grandmother. Did you notice that? And the second is that this little new baby is described as Naomi's redeemer. So what's, what's going on there? Verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. The women are saying to Naomi, through this baby, the Lord has given you a future. Your life will return to you, and this baby will will care for you and sustain you through your old age. It's a sign of God's concern for for the care for the elderly, that God had provided Obed, this baby, uh, to give Naomi a future. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. It's not necessarily that Naomi took the child away from Ruth or adopted him formally, but within the wider family, Obed would have this role of caring for, sustaining, providing for Naomi in her old age. So what a wonderful picture here at the end of the book we have of Naomi with this precious child on her lap. She came back to the Lord grieving and poor, vulnerable and empty, And through Ruth, the Lord has filled her up. She has joy, provision, and a secure future. She's been blessed by God more than she could have imagined. But the writer of the book of Ruth has a twinkle in their eye as they bring the book to the conclusion. Because even at the end of their lives, Naomi and Ruth had no idea how blessed they had been. They knew that God had blessed them, but they didn't know the half of it. Because did you notice in verse 16, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. They had no idea, but these two widows were part of the family line of King David, a redeemer for the whole nation of Israel. These days when the judges ruled were days when Israel had no king. They were terrible times. The people had turned from the Lord. They were worshipping idols. They were attacked and defeated by their enemies again and again. But God was preparing a redeemer, King David, who would defeat their enemies and lead the nation back to the Lord their God. Naomi and Ruth knew they'd been blessed by God at the end of their lives. But they had no idea how much that they were in the line of King David. That's why I said the writer has a twinkle in his eye as he brings the book to a conclusion. And if I can put it this way, God has a twinkle in his eye at the end of the book of Ruth. 
because even the writer didn't realize that Naomi and Ruth were in the line of another redeemer, a still greater one, Jesus, the redeemer of the world. They had no idea how much God had blessed them. In Matthew's gospel, remember how Matthew starts with a family tree, which includes Boaz and Obed? Matthew explicitly names Ruth as as Obed's mother. And he continues a line through King David to Jesus, who is the Messiah. Even the writer of Ruth didn't realize how much God had blessed Ruth and Naomi in giving them the privilege of being in this line of Jesus, the Redeemer of the world. So we see in this chapter something very precious about the Lord our God. He blesses his people more richly than we can ever imagine or know. We read in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. It's true of Naomi and Ruth. God had prepared more for them than they could imagine. And it's true for us because God has provided us with a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and with a future in him. So the book of Ruth does not teach us that if we're poor and hungry, God will necessarily give us uh, financial security in this life. Nor does it teach us that if we're unmarried, God will necessarily give us a spouse. Or that if we're childless, he will necessarily give us a child. Those were some of his blessings to Ruth and Naomi, but they may not be his blessings for us. But if we trust in Jesus, our Redeemer, we are more blessed than we can grasp. We have the forgiveness of all our sins. We have a relationship with God where he is our Father and we're his beloved children. We have his Spirit filling us and bringing the life of God into our lives. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a purpose to live for God's glory and a wonderful future ahead of us. Like Ruth and Naomi, we get to the end of our lives not knowing half of the blessings that God has given us. It's in eternity with Christ that we will be freed from hunger because we'll be at the wedding feast of the Lamb and freed from grief because God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. God has blessed us more richly than we can ever imagine. Well, as we finish, how should we respond to the God who blesses his people in this way? Let me mention three particular responses drawn from the book of Ruth as a whole. And the first is to trust God in trials. I know that's easy to say, and it's much harder to do in practice. But I think the book of Ruth really helps us to trust God in trials. It's the story of how God was at work in unseen ways through the awful trials that Naomi and Ruth faced to bring them to this place of blessing. And of course, for much of the book, Naomi and Ruth had no idea what God was up to, but he was working to bring them to this point. Now, the New Testament tells us that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And that is true. And I think the book of Ruth helps us to trust that truth shows us a worked example of how even through trials, God is at work to do good to his people. And we trust God in trials. 
Our second response is ourselves to live lives of loving kindness. See, God's blessing to Naomi came principally through the loving kindness of Ruth, who was so loyal to her, who stuck with her through thick and thin. God's blessing to Ruth came principally through the loving kindness of Boaz, who who had an eye for the one who was excluded, who wanted to provide and include. If we know the loving kindness of Jesus, well, that should fill us up and turn us out to show the same loving kindness to others. So we support the vulnerable, so we stick with the needy, so we include and as we provide in ways that we can. And actually, God works through the loving kindness of his people to point people to the source of it all, which is his loving kindness to us. We live lives of loving kindness. And then third of all, make your Redeemer famous. Do you notice that prayer came up twice in our reading in in chapter 4? So in verse 11, the elders at the town gate, they pray that Boaz would be famous in Bethlehem. And then the women, as they prayed for Obed in verse 14, prayed, may he become famous throughout Israel. When you see a wonderful redeemer, you want him to become famous. Well, we long for Jesus, our redeemer, to become known and trusted throughout the world. And may God work in this real lives week to make our redeemer famous in Maidenhead and beyond so that people will trust in him And know this blessing that he alone can bring. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have provided for us a redeemer. Who was ready to pay the cost. And to satisfy the full requirements of your law as he paid for our sin on the cross. Thank you that trusting in Jesus, we have received a blessing far greater than we can even begin to grasp. And we thank you that you have also set a future ahead of us, so that like Naomi and Ruth, even at the end of our lives, we've only realized the half of your blessing for us. Amen.